0: Our message this morning is coming from John chapter 6, so if you want to turn to John chapter 6, we're not going to do that whole passage, I'm going to just use 51 to 58, the main focus is going to be point five, Uh, but I want to continue uh, what we started yesterday and follow through to this morning, and uh, we're going to talk about the bread of life, that is Jesus in human flesh, which is the reason why we are celebrating Christmas. Remember that that is the human element of the Lord's Supper, that uh, there was a human sacrifice that was necessary. Uh, bull and goats The uh, blood of bull and goats did not remove and take away sin. There was a need for a human sacrifice, and so our Christmas story is that God became human, took on flesh to take our sins upon himself and then to die uh, in our place as a substitutionary atonement, paying our penalty uh, so that we can have eternal life. Now I want to start by saying that this is not the Lord's Supper here uh, because it comes right after the feeding of the 5,000, John chapter 6 in verse 1, and the Lord's Supper has not been uh, uh, initialized yet until you get to uh, the Last Supper. And so what he is doing is using the feeding of the 5,000 to explain a very important aspect of, uh, of salvation. Now, does it, was Jesus looking towards the Lord's Supper? Can we use this to point to some things that are important about the Lord's Supper? Well, obviously we can see that it does. Uh, but one warning that I will uh, give you today is that our, uh, or the Catholic Church uh, really takes this uh, uh, passage here to a whole new meaning and distorts the, the truth. A lot of y'all have uh, given us uh, the uh, poinsettias in the name of your uh, ancestor who has passed away, uh, your loved one who has passed away, and so I'm going to use that as an example because there's three teachings concerning the Lord's Supper, transubstantiation, consubstantiation, and the memorial view, which is the Baptist view. Uh, So if we were thinking of transubstantiation, uh, you gave this poinsettia, and when you gave these poinsettia, it literally became your ancestor. And you talked to that poinsettia, and you kept that poinsettia in your house, and you treated that poinsettia as if it was actually your ancestor. Well, transubstantiation, our Catholics... The Catholic Catholic view believes that when they sacrifice Jesus on the altar, it literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and they are literally consuming the flesh of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, uh, which is the wrong view of this particular passage. Consubstantiation is a little bit lighter view, and that is that when you participate in the Lord's Supper, that uh, that plant does not become your ancestor, but your ancestor is within it, the spirit of your ancestor, or the Holy Spirit. And so the poinsettia is not your ancestor, but my hand is, and it's within the poinsettia. Uh, and we don't believe that view as Baptists. We believe that it is in memory of, and that's what the poinsettias are here for, in memory of your ancestor. As much as you love them and you uh, remember all of the good thoughts about your loved one who has passed, Uh, The Lord's Supper is uh, that for us, it's in memory of, and the Holy Spirit indwells our heart and gives us fellowship as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, So I'm going to focus on verse 51 down through verse 58, and so let me read that and then we'll start our message since I finished the uh, introduction there. All right, starting in verse 51, it says this. Not like the bread of your fathers that you ate and then died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in a synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for the last two days. It's been a wonderful worship experience as we celebrate and as we partake of your flesh and blood in the Lord's Supper. Father, as we sung this wonderful cantata this morning, uh, just focusing on the fact that you became one of us uh, to die for us and to take away our sins. And we just continue uh, as we look into your word now and just ask for your leadership, Father. We just ask for your guidance. We ask that you would teach us your word, that you would show us your ways uh, by u- using this metaphor of bread and, and wine. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you and ask father for your blessing to be upon it and it's in christ's name we pray amen all right when you uh when you study scripture we're going to move pretty quick not going to read all these uh, verses uh so you take the bulletin home and you can look these verses up and see but when you're studying the bible uh one of the things that you want to want to look for is things that are repeated uh, if it's repeated several times you can pretty much believe that it's pretty important that what jesus is trying to get across And so if you read verses uh, 31, 32, 33, all the way through uh, to verse 51, uh, which is where we started at, and I will read that to you again in verse 51. It says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If one eats of the bread, uh, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give you uh, for the life of the world is my flesh. Uh, Okay, so uh, the bread came down from heaven. It's repeated over and over and over again. What can we get from the fact that the bread came down from heaven. Well, one thing is, is that the bread already existed. It already existed. It was in heaven before it came down. It simply came down uh, from, from heaven. So uh, God did not beget, begot Jesus uh, as some of the false uh, uh, teachers teach. Uh, the Mormons, I believe, they believe that we're all eternal spirits that we all existed before time began. And uh, when Jesus was begot, uh, the spirit took on flesh, the same way that they would say that we take on flesh. And Jesus was the first begotten son of God who became God and went to heaven. And we too are gonna become gods and we're going to go to heaven and we're gonna have our own little universe to, uh, to, to, to lead and be Lord over. And therefore, how are we going to have a universe to rule over? Well, we need lots of people. And so they believe in polygamy to produce all these children so that when they get to their (coughs) planet, they're going to be able to rule over their universe with all of their people or whatever. You can see how false it becomes when uh, when you believe that. But Jesus Christ was God. He was the Son of God. There never was a time when God, Jesus Christ, was not the Son of God. He has always existed in the past as we read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was was with God, and the Word was God. He was always God. He was infinite and eternal. Uh, He existed. He came to earth as the bread of life to be the human sacrifice to die for our sins. This bread was given to the world. This bread was given to the world. Look at verse 33. In verse 33, it says, For the bread of God is he who come down from heaven and give life to the world, to the world. Uh, Verse uh, verse 40, it says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up uh, on the last day. And then verse 57, it says, as the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of my sins. Okay, so in a sense, uh, well, in, 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 a, in, in fact, uh, Jesus Christ uh, quantitatively and qualitatively uh, died for the sins of the world, meaning that if God wanted to choose one more person other than what he has elected and chosen before the time began, before he created, if he decided to to, to save one more person, Jesus would not have to die again. In other words, his, his quality, the quantity of blood that was shed at the cross is capable of saving any single person, every single person, That lives on the planet whosoever believes in him will be saved qualitatively quantitatively when Jesus said it is finished it is finished it is capable it is able for saving everyone on the planet that has ever lived second or third fourthly there the bread accomplished the father's purpose the bread accomplished The father's purpose for this is the will of my father, verse 40, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and will be raised up on the last day. Notice that whoever eats of this bread will have eternal life, eternal, everlasting life. What is the definition? What is the definition of everlasting? It means that it lasts forever. Why is our salvation secure? Because if we could lose our salvation, then it would not be everlasting life. You cannot lose your salvation. Once you believe, you're always believing. Once you eat, and we'll t- talk about this in a minute, but once you eat, you find it a delight and you keep coming back to it. And you have, uh, you have everlasting life. So it accomplished its purpose. The moment that you eat of the bread, the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, You are saved to the uttermost. And so it accomplishes purpose. And then we're going to look at this. This bread must be eaten. Okay, this must be eaten. It is very, very easy uh, to be confused or to misunderstand spiritual truths. It happens several times in John's Gospel. Remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus... And uh, questioned him and asked him, "What he, how is he saved?" And he said that you must be born again. What was Nicodemus' spot, uh, 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 response? What was his thought? Well, he began to rationalize logically from the mind and said, "How can I enter back into my mother's womb? How is that even possible?" Right. So obviously, Jesus wasn't talking about it in a physical sense. He was using the physical to explain something that's very significant spiritually and it's the same thing he's doing here when he's talking about eating bread and drinking blood remember when uh when uh, jesus was talking to the samaritan woman she came out in the middle of the day when it was hot uh, to get water because she was an adulteress and she was the talk of the town so she didn't come out in the cool of the day when the rest of the women came they went out when it was hot so she can be alone and she can go get her water and get back into town Jesus knew it and went to Samaria to meet, and he's standing there, and he said, if you knew who stood before you, you would give him, or you would ask him for a drink. What was a Samaritan woman's spot? How can you get a drink? You don't even have a bucket. I know that you need a bucket to hook it on the well and take it all the way down to the bottom and fill the bucket up and bring it up. Then you, can, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get me a drink? Again, they, she was thinking logically and worldly, not understanding the, super, the, the spiritual significance of what Jesus said. Uh, was saying at that particular moment, well, here the Jews do the same things. He said that you must eat my flesh and you must drink my blood. The Jews uh, argued among themselves and said, how can this man give us his flesh and his blood to eat? How can his, how can his flesh and blood satisfy? I, mean, I don't know how big he was. You know, I'm sure he wasn't much bigger than an average man, five foot eight to six foot four or something like that maybe. It uh, doesn't really matter how what size he was, but the, the, the question here is, How can you give us all something to eat? There's not enough meat on your bones for us all to consume. So, how is it even possible? And why would we eat your blood or uh, uh, eat your flesh and drink your blood? Doesn't the Old Testament tell the Jews not to eat blood or drink blood? Yes, it does. So, you can imagine from a Jewish mindset that 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 kind of threw them in a whirlwind. How in the world, how can you say that? How can you do that? You're complaining to be God. And you're telling me that you're going to deny the Old Testament and you're going to tell me that I have to eat your flesh and drink your blood? And so he obviously wasn't talking about eating flesh and he wasn't talking about drinking blood. He was using the analogy to give them a spiritual principle or to teach a spiritual a spiritual uh, lesson. In fact, if you look at the next point there, Jesus told them what it meant already. If they were listening and not thinking worldly or thinking fleshly or scientifically or whatever, and they were listening to what Jesus was actually saying and has already said, then they would have known what it was. So let's look at verse 35. In verse 35 it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So what does it mean to eat the flesh and to drink the blood. What it says right here, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There's the answer to the question right there. Look at verse 40. For this is the will of the father that everyone who looks on the son and believes, uh, believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Right, look at verses 53 and 54 it says so jesus said to them truly truly i say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my uh, my blood has eternal life and i will raise him up on the last day okay so he's saying come and believe behold and believe right Uh, when you receive Christ, when you experience Jesus, when God opens the word of God to your life and to your heart, there's this irresistible desire to taste. And then there's this irresistible desire to taste again and to taste again and to taste again. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will get your fill. If I had a caramel drizzled cheesecake up here and you never experienced it and you never tasted it, you will not know what it tastes like. You will not know how good it is. If I gave you a little piece and you liked it as much as I like it, every chance you will get and you see it on the menu, you will order it and you will get it and you will eat it. And you will like it over and over and over again. It will always satisfy. Right? Well, that's the idea with eating his flesh when you understand that he is your human sacrifice and that he takes away your sin and he clears your conscience and he gives you that unexplainable joy that surpasses all understanding and you see what it was like before you were saved and how miserable you are and you see how you are now saved and how you're satisfied you will come back to it again and again and again and again because it satisfies your soul, just like uh, bread does for your physical body. And so let's talk a little bit about the eating metaphor and what it means to eat. First of all, eating is a drawing, right? Your hunger and thirst draws you to food. There's, you feel a need within yourself that is not satisfied, right? And you're, you, you may be You may may be filling it up with sex, you may be filling it up with drugs, you may be filling it up with alcohol, you may be filling it up with excessive work because you have identified yourself with work, and that's the only satisfaction you get is to work, and so you work, you work, you work yourself, uh, you work yourself to death, Uh, but there's a desire. Think about the Samaritan woman. What was the Samaritan woman's problem? The Samaritan woman was the man that he had was not uh, her husband, and All of her husbands before them was not their husbands either. I think it's eight or nine. Okay, so what is the problem? That's the problem. What was the bucket? The the bucket was what was needed. What was needed? The living water from Jesus. But what was in the bucket? It was all of those men talking about the heart of the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman had to stop trying to find satisfaction in all of those men and turn and find the satisfaction in Christ. The, the, the bucket is the, is the heart. It was, it was what was missing. And once she realized what she was missing, she went back and told the whole town. because she was excited about what she found uh, in Christ. And that's what uh, eating of the flesh and drinking of the blood or coming to Jesus and beholding him and believing him will produce in your life. If you would stop filling your life with all of that other stuff, and fill your life with the word of God in Christ. Eating is personal, personal, right? Nobody else can do it for you. I can't, I can't call home to my wife and say, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really busy today and I'm, and I'm hungry. Uh, will you go ahead and eat something for me so that I can finish my work here? It will do nothing for me. It won't answer my hunger pain, right? It won't nourish my body the way that it needs to be. Okay? Listen, children. You can't go to Christ on your father's faith. You can't get to heaven on your mother's faith. At some point in your life, you have to eat the flesh. You have to drink the blood. You have to come to Jesus. You have to believe on Him. Nobody else can eat for you. Right? Some of you that have grown older, and uh, and somebody asks you, "Are you saved? Are you a Christian?" Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know that you're a Christian? Well, my mom and dad took me to church every single day that the doors were open. We went Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday evening. That doesn't save you. That doesn't save you. Nobody else can eat bread for you. You have to be the one to take it and allow it into your heart. Speaking of the word of God, allow it into your heart and believe it. Right? Eating also is necessary. Without it, it'll it'll die. Without it, we will die. We have to have have food. Look, we can can go to the store and we can look at it on the shelf and we can see how many different flavors they are. We can see how nice and wrapped they are and the different color of the bags they are. We can watch and see how many people buy and how many different people buy different kinds of bread. We can buy our own loaf. We can come over and open it and sit it on the table and we can feel it, see if it's fresh. We can pull it apart and look in between each slice. We can look at the color of bread. We can do anything. But none of that will save you until you consume it. Until you put it in your mouth, chew it up, and swallow it, it'll do nothing. Listen, until you believe the word of God, and you behold Jesus Christ, and you meditate on it, and you allow it into your heart, right? it'll do nothing for you. You'll sit around here and wonder, The pastor said that if I look to Jesus and I trust him, that I'll have the joy joy and satisfaction that the word of God promises. Well, you will if you let it in and you believe it and accept it and understand it and behold it. Right? Look at at that uh, caramel-drizzled cheesecake. Can't wait to put a slice in your mouth. Can't wait to get a piece in your mouth. Right? And when you run out of the caramel, you've got to get some more caramel, drizzle some more over top of it so you still have that good caramel taste. Same thing here. You've got to read it and you've got to keep reading it and you've got to keep looking unto it. You've got to keep feeding on it. You've got to behold it. You should desire every single day to get up and get to the word of God and read it to fill your soul and to fill your heart for that particular day. To continue to teach yourself to look to, to, look to him. Right, eating is Finally eating is beneficial. With it, you will be healthy and strong. Eat so your body can use the bread for all of the benefits of the body, right? You take the bread and you, and you swallow it. I don't know how the body functions. I'm, I'm not a doctor, uh, but I know that some of that food's got to go to different parts. Some of it's got to help the heart. Some of it's got to help the brain. Some of it's got to help other parts. And there's chemicals the way that God has made us to be able to divide up whatever part needs what, and it takes it there. I don't know how all that works. One of y'all can maybe stand up and, and testify how that actually occurs. Uh, but bottom line is that you have to eat it. And then once you eat it, it takes care of all those parts. Same thing spiritually. When you consume the word of God, when you take it in, the spirit of God takes it and fulfills all the needs. Right? The spirit of God looks into your heart. Right? He is the great physician. The Word of God is a double-edged sword. Guess what it's going to do? It's going to, it's going to operate on your sinful body. It's going to get all of that sin and begin to work on that sin and get it out of your body. And as you put away all of those husbands and you put away all of those drinks and you put away all of that alcohol and you put away all those drugs and you put away all the excessive work that you do and you just come to the Lord and feast on Him daily. Feast on Him daily. All of those things will begin to be washed away. You'll begin to feel spiritually healthy. You'll begin to feel spiritually right with God. And that's what it's trying to tell the Jews here in this particular situation, right? It's not that he's got to eat the flesh. It's not that he has to eat the blood, right? But he has to take it in just like you do food. And then once you take it in, it's going to begin to work on your body and make you spiritually healthy. That's what Jesus Christ did for us for Christmas. He became a human being to die for our sins. To do what the blood of bulls and goats could not do, and that is to remove all of your sin. All of it. As far as the east is from the west. Now when you stand before God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You want that today? Consume the word of God in your life. Come to Jesus Christ, the only man that died for man. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. There's no other sacrifice that is good for sin. I, told, I use illustrations all the time, going to India and different places, and how they torture themselves to try to appease their gods. There's no need for you to torture yourself to appease God. Jesus Christ was tortured for your sins. And now you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for this Christmas season and celebrating the humanity of Christ uh, coming to this earth, dying as a, substitution, a substitutionary death for us so that our sins are wiped away. Father, you used this word this morning to cause each one of us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And may we come to the word of God, not to the world, not to other things, come to the word of God. To fill our hearts with your word and with your spirit. That we may benefit from all of your promises about how our sin is removed and what the changes will look like. Do John chapter 6 in each of our lives today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.